0: So, uh, so it's lovely, uh, lovely to see uh, to see everyone here. Given that it is part two of uh, uh, of a two part series, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap from uh, from what we talked about last week. I was a bit embarrassed actually during the week. And um, e- uh, Ian Moore emailed me, and um, and he was very encouraging. You know what Ian's like; he's so encouraging, isn't he? It was very encouraging, and. Um, he said, oh, we got up to chapter seven, uh, verse 17, uh, you know, talking about sanctification. Um, I didn't have the heart to email him back and say we only got up to about verse 5. <laughs> um, so we've got some catching up to do today, but we covered, uh, we covered a lot of good ground last week, I thought. Um, we, we spoke a little bit about the fact that, um, that, that, that I prefer to call this chapter the Lord's Prayer. All right. And, uh, uh, and the fact that, that actually the disciples' prayer which is the one that starts our Father who art in heaven, uh, we think, or I think, that, that, that Jesus never actually prayed that prayer at all because it says in there, forgive us our trespasses and of course he was the one that never trespassed. He didn't sin. So That was the disciples' prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. If you want an insight into what is in the, Christ, uh, the mind of Christ, you read this chapter. Because this is what the Lord is praying, our Father, uh, Jesus uh, is praying to the Father. Um, so we covered that a little bit, and uh, we covered the fact that he was talking about us a lot in this. And actually, if I could change the heading a bit, I wouldn't just call it the Lord's Prayer, I'd probably call it Jesus prays for us. The whole thing, there are three little headings in there that the NIV give us. Jesus prays for himself, and actually I'm not sure that he does pray for himself, I think he prays for us in that Jesus prays for his believers or his disciples. I think Jesus prays for us and Jesus prays for the wider believers but I think he just prays for us. This whole chapter is about us. So we covered a few things in there. We covered uh, the, the importance of prayer, that Jesus modelled prayer and, um, and it's brilliant to have prayer from a um, kind of a, a disciplined point of view, maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, maybe at noon. It's good to withdraw and pray uh, pray in solitude. But actually we spoke about that constant communion with the Father that Jesus had. That we can pray wherever we are, whenever we are, in whatever situation. We also spoke about Jesus glorifying the Father through his death on the cross and how important that is for us because he made a way to the Father. And we covered the importance of knowing God the Father and the Son who God the Father sent. And that was the secret to eternal life. Now, we didn't cover too much about eternal life, but from an eternal life point of view, eternal life is less about quantity and more about quality. What do I mean by that? Well, we're all going to live forever, aren't we? Re- regardless of what you believe in, you're going to live forever. This is more about who you end up living with. Yeah? <coughs> this is about quality of life. Here on earth, in the here and now, but also beyond. So knowing Jesus is about eternity for us. So we're going to continue our journey today. I'm going to um, get us to, uh, to, to John chapter 17. Um, and uh, in order to make a little bit more progress than, uh, than five verses, I'm going to do a little bit more expository kind of uh, <laughs> teaching. So I'll read the word and then we'll kind of uncover things as we go along. Is that okay with everyone? Yeah? I'll make sure, honestly, I'll make sure you're in time for supper. It'll be fine. <laughs> Absolutely fine. So we start in verse 6, um, and it says here in the NIV, I have revealed you, now I'm going to stop there for a second. Sorry, I've stopped so early, haven't I? We're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. Now, um, the, the NIV translation loses a little bit of nuance in those words. Uh, actually, if you go to a, a, a King James version, or a New King James version, or even an American Standard version, um, or in English, Standard version, because we're English, aren't we? Um, it actually says that I have manifested your name. So, this says I have revealed you to those, but, but, but that version says I have manifested your name. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a difference between just revealing something and manifesting something. Jesus became what God wanted him to become. He didn't just talk the game, He showed us what it meant to live a life according to the will of the Father. In his very actions as well as his word, he manifested the name that God the Father gave him, Jesus. So I've I've revealed, I've manifested your name to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. them. So, we we'll stop there for a second. We often think of Jesus as God's gift to us. We talk about it at Christmas time, don't we? It says here though, you have given them to me. So, so he's talking about us. So, Jesus is saying that we are actually a gift to Jesus. Do you ever think of yourself as a gift to Jesus? You are the Father's gift to Jesus. Right, that's, that's pretty powerful. It says in Matthew that um, if, uh, if a son asks a father uh, for bread, what does the father give him? Does he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, does he give him a snake? No, of course he doesn't. Because if you, as a father, know how to give good gifts and you're an earthly father or a mother, then how much more will the Father in heaven give to those who ask? Jesus does not give rubbish gifts. Jesus does not give gifts, sorry, the Father does not give gifts that have an expiry date. He doesn't give gifts that three months later you know, kind of get shoved away or broken he doesn't give gifts that you, know, you want to sell on or, or, you know, or throw away. He only gives good gifts and he has given you to Jesus. Do you, do you, do you feel special? Because I think you should because you are the Father's gift to the Son. I think you should feel really special and, and you were purchased at a price. Paul says, you were purchased at a price and, and you were given to the Son. I think that's pretty amazing, actually, when we think about it. And Jesus is reminding us of this as he prays to the Father. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer. And he's been talking about this, isn't it? We, we covered that a little bit last time. We talked about the fact he's been, he's been speaking more and more about the fact he's going to and actually in the previous chapter, um, the disciples, you know, they, they finally kind of confessed, they believed uh, that uh, that Jesus was who he says he was. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. And actually again, there's a little nuance there in in some of the other... Uh, different translations. It says, uh, "Keep them in your name, the name of Jesus. Keep them in your name, rather than protect them from your name. But actually, they're, they're one and they're one and the same. Yeah, yeah, protecting us is actually about keeping us in the name of Jesus. It's keeping us on the straight and narrow." I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. That's Judas Iscariot. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still here in the world so they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Stop there for a second. Now, every job has some sort of hazard involved in it. I'm sure Sally can tell you as a school teacher, there are hazards that come with that job, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Roger was a policeman. Gordon, you were a fireman, weren't you? We were talking about that last week. There are hazards to, to most jobs that exist in this world. I mean, if you're a lawyer, there's the hazard of being sued, right? If you're an electrician, there's the hazard of being electrocuted. Uh, as someone that works for a bank, we know what the hazard is, you're, you're just universally hated. Um, but, um, the hazard of being a Christian is that the world hates you. Jesus mentions the world a number of times. We'll talk about that in a second. Why does the world hate you if you're a Christian? It's because you claim to know the truth, right? You claim to do things a different way. Their way feels threatened. What does Jesus mean by the world? The original Greek is uh, uh, probably a word that you'll be quite familiar with: cosmos. The world, cosmos. There are different readings of the world, uh, the, the word world. I'm going to get confused there, aren't I? The word world in the New Testament. Uh, the first one, uh, welcoming creation, you know, God, God's creation, the environment that we live in. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world is the Lord's and everything in it. So, is Jesus saying that we're not of the earth? We're not of creation? Is he saying that we, um, we shouldn't love creation? I don't think he is. I don't think he's saying that we shouldn't love the environment. Actually, I believe exactly the opposite, uh, but that's for another day and another sermon. Um, So, I don't think he means the world in terms of creation when he talks about the fact that we're not of the world. Uh, Another reading of the word world is is mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Is God saying that we shouldn't love mankind? I don't think so. Because for God so loved the world, but he's saying that we're not of the world. There's a third reading of the, uh, or, or meaning to the word world that we see in this text and that is the world in the respect of the ordered system of beliefs and values. It's our culture. It's the place we live in. The, um, uh, yeah, Paul talks about um, uh, the, the God of this world being Satan who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. It, that reading of the word world is about our culture, yeah, that system of thinking, that, that set of beliefs. It's that set of beliefs that tells us our security is found in money and wealth. It, it's that set of beliefs, those values that tell us that our acceptance is found in how we look, yeah, our outside beauty how people value us when they look at us. It's it's that ordered set of beliefs and values that tell us that we get significance from our achievements and our intellect. That's the world that Jesus is saying that we are not part of because we know a different way of doing things. It's that world that Jesus is asking the Father to protect us by his name, to keep us on the straight and narrow. Because there's temptation around every corner to want to follow that world with all it promises. So what do we do then? Uh, when we're told that we're not of this world, yeah, but, but we're in this world, how could we respond? Well, there are, there are lots of different ways to respond to what Jesus is saying here, we could try and remove ourselves in fear that we could get kind of infected, right? You know, we could isolate. And, and history will tell you that, that many church kind of denominations and cultures do. They, they they remove themselves completely, set themselves up on the top of a hill maybe and, um, and they don't allow anyone in. But I'm not sure that's what Jesus meant when he said we're in the world but not of the world. I don't think he wants us to remove, I don't think he wants us to isolate. Another response is that we could insulate. Yeah, we could get insulated in ourselves or in our churches. We could build our church buildings in the middle of the town. Uh, we could hold our church services. We could do our thing but actually our doors are closed in reality. Yeah, we, could iso- we could isolate, we could insulate We could do nothing, yeah? We could kind of blend into the background, couldn't we? Just kind of get on, read our Bible, do our thing, without having any sort of impact. Yeah, we could vegetate. Yeah, we could isolate, we could insulate, we could vegetate. There's another response that we could have, which actually sometimes I think is more dangerous than any of those, which is we could imitate the world and the cultural set of beliefs that we have. Another really tempting response is to imitate, isn't it? No, we're we're just like you guys. We're not weird, we're not strange, hey? Like we we could turn our church services into rock concerts with flashing lights and loud music. We could yeah, wanting to draw people in. Yeah, we we, we could use the same language, we could we could not be set apart because actually it says there in verse 10, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify means to, to set apart, to make holy. You have been set apart. You've been made holy. You are different. And it says the world has hated you. I'm not saying the world has to <laughs> hate you for you to be a good Christian. I'm not saying that at all. But, but what you preach is different. What you believe is different. So imitate is not a good response either. So what do I think God wants us to do? I think he wants to, if I think he wants us to, I'm going to use another eight, see what I've done here, permeate the world. I think he wants us to go out and be with the world. But the key thing here is that when we do that, yeah, there'll be temptation all over the place that, that, that we become like the world. But Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth, your word is the truth. We spoke a little bit about the word, word, last week, didn't we? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That was word with a capital W. And the meaning behind that was, you know, the logic, the logos. The reason behind things was Jesus. So when we read that, we say, in the beginning was the reason behind things, and the reason behind things, you know, was, was Jesus. He was God, and He became flesh. Jesus became flesh. We know that. This is a different reading of the word "word." It's word with a cat, with a with a little W. It, it's the Scriptures. If you stay in the Word and permeate the world, you'll stay anchored to the Father. It's important to read our Bibles. It's really, really important to read our Bibles to know what God says. Yeah, our instructions, our our, our our way of testing. When we feel we've heard from the Spirit, we come back to the Word and say, yeah, what's our foundation? So let's stay in the Word, but let's permeate the world. Verse... Uh, Verse 19, just finishing that bit off, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. We are set apart. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which actually is us, right? Because we, we, sometimes we feel like we were the first in line for Jesus' message, but yeah, if it wasn't for people passing that message on through the centuries, we wouldn't know of the truth. As we are one. In them, I in them, sorry, and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Sorry, love them even as you have loved me. Um, Jesus is praying for unity among the believers. Now, you'd be forgiven if you thought that um, this is one prayer or one part of a prayer that, that hasn't been fulfilled because the, the, the church is actually very divided at the moment. I'm not talking about Billerickly Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church at large. You know, there's, there's well in excess of 2,000 church denominations across this world. A, a, and it's sad sometimes to see that, that one is trying to get over the other it's sad sometimes to see that, that there are individuals who put themselves over and above what, what, what the church is, and, and, and you know, they become the character, the person. You know, there, there, there is, there's a lot of division within the church, but you know, Jesus came and he died for us on the cross, and, and he has created that unity already. The problem is we just don't enjoy it, we don't live in it often. There's great power in unity. Anyone that's been part of a, uh, a two-parent household would know that, right? You know, one child comes to you and says, hey daddy, can I have a cookie? And you say, no problem. No problem at all, son. You can tell this might have happened, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, 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 and the child walks in, you know, cookie, crumbs all over the place. And, um, uh, uh, and then the other parent says, hey, I told you you couldn't have a cookie a minute ago. Oh, yeah, but Daddy said I could. right? And then where where, where suddenly is the argument, right? Because it's not with the child, it's between the two parents. Well, why didn't you ask me? Well, I didn't know. It's just a cookie. Yeah, but he had a cookie 20 minutes ago. Well, I didn't know. You should tell me. You know, maybe we should have a cookie board or something like that. But the child knows, doesn't he? The child knows that if I could divide the parents, I could conquer. And yeah, we, we know that phrase, don't we? Divide and conquer. Division is a tactic that the devil will use all the time. Yeah? Because he knows there's power in unity. God knew there was power in unity way back in Genesis eleven, when the people were building a tower. Right, And they were building a tower and they, they were building it higher and higher and higher so they could get to heaven. And they were unified in their goal. And God said, these people are getting too powerful. And he came and he confused their languages. Kind of divided it up. It says in Acts chapter 2, another kind of little nuance. Um, uh, when they were all together in one place, and it's just before the, the Holy Spirit came, so all the believers were, were, were in an upper room. When we're all together in one place, again, the reading of a, um, a New King James Version will say, when they were all of one accord in one place. When they were united, all of one accord, in one physical place. Not just when they were together in one place, when, when they were believing the same thing, when they were supporting each other, when they were looking after each other, next comes the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There is power in being unified. And being unified doesn't necessarily mean agreeing with each other all the time, right? It's often said that if two people from two different backgrounds just think the same thing, it's very likely that one of them isn't actually thinking. Right? We have to think the same thing all the time, but we are unified because of Jesus. Because we all believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, to save us from our sin. And we all believe that now we can live in eternity. We're living in eternity now, for want of a better phrase, like the quality of life, because we know Jesus. And there may be some bits and pieces that people in the church might not believe that you believe and whatnot, but ultimately we do believe the same thing. Be united. Because there's power in unity. And that power in that unity will, will, will help you when you permeate the town that you live in. The workplaces, or the clubs, or the schools, that you're in. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me Yeah, that that's the key to being united, isn't it? Is is knowing the Father. Yeah, you know, we went right back in the first one where we spoke uh, we spoke about knowing the Father as the key to eternity, and he, he kind of almost bookends this prayer a little bit, doesn't he? Um, I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in. Then, there's so much in this chapter, honestly. When I first read it, I thought, what am I going to talk about? When I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, I thought, goodness, how am I going to keep this to just two weeks? Take it away, read it. Ask the Lord to talk to you. Listen to what he has to say. I'm going to pray for us and um and then we're going to sing a song, and we're going to have communion together, oh Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that um that you gave us this prayer i want to thank you that John documented this prayer for us to read, for us to 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 learn from what a gift this passage is to us, Lord God. I want to thank you, Father, for teaching us that prayer is really, really important. I want to thank you, Father God, that Jesus glorified you through his cross. Help us, Father, to feel like we are gifts that you have given to Jesus. Help us to respond in such a way that we feel special. Lord, protect us as we go out and permeate this world. You didn't pray for us to be whipped away into heaven with you. You pray for us to remain in this world, but be anchored to you. Sanctify us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Um, Father, I pray that we will know that we are set apart to do your work. And keep us united, Lord God. Keep us united, together, of one accord, in one place. In Jesus' name, Amen.